Okay, good morning. Today's daf is Daf Chof Ches. Today's shir is the Ilunishmas. Shaina Shaina Bas Kalman Akohen, Ruven Ben Shraga, David Ben Shraga, and Chanabas Ruven. May they have a complete and speedy. Uh, may their have an aliyah, and may their memory be a blessing. Um, okay, so we have the Mishnah at the bottom of Chav Zayin Amud Beis 27b. Remember, it's carrying on with the discussion that we started in the previous Mishnah, that um, where uh, army invades a city, we have a chashash, we have a, a concern that the women were raped. And then we brought in the Gemara, which this seems to be um, an important point that if there's a hiding place, then you don't have to assume that the woman were raped. You can assume that she has that she was that she was hidden and saved. And we also mentioned that the aidim required for such testimony is not a high-level regular aidus, since it's just a rabbinic concern. Because Dorai, so why are you just going to say that every woman was raped? It's just a rabbinic concern, possibly just a stringency that they did by for Kohanim, as we've seen a few times in this Masech, that they're extra strict when it comes to who they would let marry Kohanim. So therefore, the rabbis also said, you can go lenient with the type of testimony that you accept. You only need one witness, and it doesn't have to be a real kosher witness. It can be a relative, it can be a, a slave, etc. Um yeah. Now the mission says, Amar Zechariah ben Akatsav. Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsav said, Hamaoin hazeh loy zazo yada mitochi yadai, misha shenichnasu oivdei koichavim yishur leYerushalayim va'ad sheyatsu. He says, I take Hamaoin hazeh is a language literally means by the palace. It could be saying by Hashem's palace or by the base Hamikdash, but it's a language of a shvua. He says, I take a shvua that her my hand never left her hand. From the moment the troops entered Jerusalem until they left, and uh, so what's he saying? He's saying I'm taking. Um, he's testifying that his wife was not raped. There's Adam made al and he said that a person. They said to him, "Sorry, a person can't testify about himself." He says, what do you mean about himself? He's testifying about his wife. So that's so. What's the svara that someone can't testify about their wife? So the easiest svara that fits in very nicely with this language of the Mishnah is, um, ishto, we have a principle, ishtokagufo. A wife is like a man's body. You can't uh, you can't separate the two. So him commenting on his wife's status is um, is believed. Then uh, is, is so he can't be believed about his wife. Um, also, a person is their own relative, so his wife. It's, it's like testifying about himself, if you say that. Um, and others for abroad, why a man can't testify regarding his wife, is because he's not Gabbaitus. Because remember, in this case, he's going to have to separate from his wife or divorce her, etc. So, uh, so that would be another reason why a person can't testify about his wife. Again, there, you, know, you, might, you, you might argue in some cases it might not affect the husband, um, and therefore he could testify. But there is that other reason of ishtokukufo. It's like testifying about himself. Yeah. There's, a, there's a difficulty that I, that, I ha, that I have on this Mishnah. And that is, we learned yesterday that if there's a hiding place, the woman, and this we saw at the top of the page, the woman can step forward and say, I didn't hide, but I wasn't raped. Why is she not believed here to say that? They should believe based on the fact that if, they, if she was lying... She had a much better claim. I went into hiding. Surely in Jerusalem, in the whole of Yerushalayim, there was a, somewhere for her to hide. So I don't understand why um, why she uh, couldn't claim that. Um, I mean, you could touch on the other, like summary showing him, as we explained, there has to be a reasonable amount of hiding places so that all the women would be assumed or have a likelihood that they made it to a hiding place. Uh, there had to be Proof that someone saw, you know, not proof that they were seen hiding, but uh, yeah, maybe you need a bit more than just say there is a hiding place. 
um, especially based on a on Tosos on the previous album. But that's a bit difficult. I looked in article and they just quoted two uh, Sforim and I, I didn't have those Sforim uh, available to check up how they explain it. Okay, Tana, we learned in a Bryce. Um, Mervyn, this is your question yesterday. It says, So granted, Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsav couldn't remain with his wife. He was a coin and there was a suspect. Uh, Suspicion that his wife had been raped, so he couldn't. He set up a house for her in the same courtyard. Says Ukashen, he yotsa yotsa baroish bano, and she would make they would make sure to never be alone in the courtyard together. When she would leave, she would make sure to leave before all the children had left. Ukashuhu nichneses, nichneses was soif bano, and when she would return home, she would make sure all her children returned home before her. So she would make sure not to be alone. So granted, her husband didn't divorce her. He just separated from her. And he gave her a house in the courtyard. And they made sure not to be alone together. And they, yeah, they learn a few halachas regarding, uh, um, regarding yichud from here. What's considered being alone? When is it a, um, a problem? But interesting enough, even though a child can't testify and say, like we saw on the previous pages, a child can't testify and say, my mother was not raped or something like that. If we don't trust a child's testimony, obviously the mother and the father are going to be sensitive if their children are around. So granted their testimony won't work, then their presence acts as a prevent, uh, acts to, to take away the issue of Yichud or the concerns of Yichud. So therefore they wouldn't make that problem. Okay, boy, abai, abai, Can abai ask a connected question? He says, can you do the same thing with the grusha? I, if a man divorces his wife, we can, we can ask this question um, from two aspects. If a regular man divorces his wife and she remarries, are they allowed to live in the same courtyard? And then the second more, um, and then the second question is, or the, the second aspect is a, a kohen. Remember, a kohen can't marry a grusha. So if he divorces his wife, are they allowed to live in the same uh, chotzer? Remember the structure, it would be almost like saying in the same complex. Remember the structure of their houses, they had a few houses built around the, a common courtyard where they would do a lot of their um, activities um, in that courtyard. And then the courtyard would open into a mabui, almost like an alleyway, which would then, uh, that street would lead up, unto, up to the main street. So what's the halacha with a man living, or a kohen, living in the same courtyard as a wife he divorced? Do we say, Do we say specifically by a captive we go lenient and allowed him to have this house in the same courtyard? Because again, remember the whole concern about this woman who was, she might have been raped. So we're going to go extra strict and say she can't be with her husband the kohen. By a grusha... There's no reason, there's no excuse to go lenient. It's clear, she's definitely also to her husband. Oh dear, my lost now, maybe there's no difference. They can stay in the same courtyard, they must just be careful not to be alone together. So Toshma, come in here from a bride, the tiny relenting bride, if a man divorces his wife, he is not allowed to live in the same neighborhood. Tosus explained a neighborhood as a shkula, um, again, unlike many others, but Tosus explained a neighborhood as three houses. So they're not allowed to live within three houses of each other. And if he was a kohen, the husband, then he's not even allowed to live with her in the same mabui. Rashi explains why are we strict with the man who's divorced his wife. So firstly, he says the case of the man who's divorced his wife is again a case of where the woman has got remarried. Because if she's still single, there's nothing really wrong with, there's no real issue of them getting back together and they're even allowed to get married again. So that's why it's specifically a man who divorced his wife and then she got remarried. That's what we're discussing, that he's not allowed to live within three houses of her. Um, then a kohen who is um, who divorced his wife, even if she's still single, he's not allowed to be with a grusha. So, she, so he has, he's not even allowed to live in the same mabui as her, in the same street as her, or the same side street. And um, we stricter. Um, Tossus explain, yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's the that's the thing. Rashi says, why are we extra strict with them? They, I mean, they got to, because they're familiar with each other, so it's kind of very easy and convenient. They can see what each other's moods like, gauge the situation, and it's very easy for them to end up stumbling. Um, 
and uh, getting together again. Then Tosfos, interestingly enough, makes a distinction between the wife of a Kohen who is single and the wife of a Kohen who has got remarried. The wife of, uh, after divorce, after divorce. The wife of the Kohen who is single, it's viewed as a very light Avera. So you have to go strict and say they can't even live in the same alleyway because it's such a light Avera, they're not going to be as careful. Whereas once she's remarried, granted there's a, still that old familiarity, people treat adultery as much more severe. So there it also say they could live in the same Shkhuna. But either way, all these opinions hold that. Uh, yeah, other Rishonim have different ways of learning, but I think that's uh, the best for us. And uh, it seems to be also how Rashi learns, or at least doesn't argue on Rashi. Um, then, um, so what would that explain? Remember, our question was, can the a Kohen who divorces his wife live in the same Chotzer? Definitely not. In some circumstances, they could live within three houses of each other. But uh, in most cases, they'd have to live uh, even uh, not even in the same street. So... Uh, or not in the same side street, not in the same Mabui. Okay, then the Gemara says, the and what happens, and if it's a small village, Maser, it was a case, they came before the rabbi and said, look, I've the coin said, I've divorced my wife, and now we're living, and it's a small village. It says, a small, a small village is like a neighborhood. It's forbidden. And Tosas explained why, why, why. They're definitely more than three houses. Might be small, but they're more than three houses. But Tosas explained, because... Uh, there's so few people around and often in a small village it's going to be like a farming village so they're all going to go to market there's lots of opportunity good chance that they'll be left alone together this Cain and his ex-wife and therefore a village is treated like a neighborhood and would have those stringencies okay then the Gemara asks the interesting question who has to move so they've been living in the same house they might even have the same, another house in the courtyard but one of them have to move because they're not allowed to live there together in the same, again, we're not talking in the same house, but in the same courtyard. I wonder maybe you could even extend it to who has to move out of the home in the case of the vault. It says, so Toshma, come here to Tanya, he need chris mi ponov, the ain who need chem mi poneho. She is moved and from before him and he doesn't have to move. Of the imo is a hot sechelo, who need chem mi poneho. She was the one who owned the hot sechelo, well, then he has to move. Iboilahu, they ask him, what hoitzer? What happens if they each own the property in this chotzer? Who has to move? So Toshma come in here. He did his miponov. She has to move before him. Now the Gemara asks, the Maya skin, and what's the case? Ilay mabuchotzer shalob shita. If you want to say it's where he owns the chotzer, well, obviously she's the one who has to move. We said that up above. Um, and must be where it belongs to her. Of a hot tanya, but we learned in a previous price. But if the courtyard belongs to her, then he's the one who has to move out. So it must be in this case where they both own in the same courtyard. And therefore, what does it say? If they both own in the same courtyard, she has to move. Of a deal the agir megar. But maybe it's a case where they're renting. I, this that we say she has to move is not a case where she owns property. It's a case where she's renting property. I, I'm assuming that renting property is not as fixed. And therefore it's easier to say move. And, it would have the, and, and she can't pull the card that, look, I owe property. You can't just kick me out. She doesn't own property. She's just renting. But either way, we're saying that granted in a case where renting, we might say, she has to move. We can't learn from there to a case where they both own property in the same courtyard. So the Gemara says, okay, so my Haviola, so what's the halacha at the end of the day? So Toshma, coming here. You know, Hashem Hashem will make you wander around like a man wanders. Like a man goes into exile. And Rav says, it's much harder. Why does, why does, the, why does the Pasuk, when Hashem wants to... Uh, Punish the Jews, says, I'll make you wonder like a man wonders. Says, because, because the wandering of a man is harsher than the wandering of a woman. So we see that it's, it's a much harder thing to make the man move, and therefore we make the woman move. Okay, that would be the Shrikalacha. I don't know. Yeah, but it seems that also it doesn't bother her as much. I'm not sure. Yeah, but you're right. Um, 
Okay, now we're going to go into other cases and other scenarios where we're concerned that the Kohen might get back to his wife, get back together with his wife who's a Grusha. So he says, if, she, if he borrowed money from her and now he has to pay her back, he has to do it through a messenger. He's not allowed to go and visit her and pay back the money. He has to send someone else to pay her the money that he owes. Um, again, if we, we don't want them... We don't want them interacting with each other and transacting with each other. This is Omar Rav Shai says, V'i asu, l'kai me'in l'dina, l'om Rav says even further, if they come to court to argue about an issue, we don't even listen to them. Because again, we don't want them getting into these conversations and discussions with each other. Rav Papa Omar, Shamuti Mishamtina Lahu, Rav Papa says we would even put them into a type of a strict level of Khairim. And Rav Huna Brader, Shu Omar, Nigudai Nami Managdin Lahu, we should also, uh, we would also give them lashes. So it's quite severe if the, if the Kohen and his ex wife are acting. Uh, are getting together when Chazal disapprove of it in ways when they don't have to. I don't know, in the court case, I don't know what you expect from them. I don't know if you, you can't send a messenger. Can you send someone on your behalf to court? I don't know, so I don't know what uh, Chazal, but I mean, based on this, interesting enough, I don't know how it works in contemporary times or in uh, secular court, but if a husband and wife are getting divorced, a Kohen and his wife. Remember, this is primar- the, pr- the primary concept. You might extend it to a husband and his ex-wife, but it's primarily a Kohen and his ex-wife because they're also to get back together. It would be forbidden. Um, but if uh, so, so a Kohen divorcing his ex-wife, you should they should try resolve all the monetary issues, pay out the ksuba, deal with uh, the, the support for the children, who's going to keep the children, who where the children are going to stay. All these issues should try and be resolved before the divorce is put into effect, because once the divorce is put into effect, you run into these uh, these concerns that we don't want them uh, interacting with each other. I don't know in uh, contemporary times how, what they do or if they resolve all the monetary issues before or after the get. I know, I mean, I can think of good reasons to encourage the, I don't know if it's necessarily always fair, but to encourage, to make sure to get through with the divorce and then deal with the monetary issues. It's otherwise you're going to start having issues where the one uses, like the husband uses it as a, as a what to exploit her. He says, I'll only give, remember he can theoretically, it will be much easier for him to get remarried. She doesn't get the get. She doesn't receive the get from him. She is a, a guna. She won't be able to remarry. So he can use, look, I'm not divorcing you unless I get X and Y and da or uh, unless I get uh, custody. You know, he can use it, the divorce, to exploit us. So I'd imagine from that aspect um, to make sure to go through with it um, as quick as possible. But in today's times, the lawyers get involved and make a big business out of it. Yeah, so that would be even more... Uh, I mean, yeah, there... Uh, in a way, I guess, if the lawyers get involved, there's probably more animosity and less uh, friendship. But yeah, I don't know. As I said, I don't know how to apply this so get to contemporary times and the, the monetary transactions and the court cases, etc. Omar Abnath Mantana. Yeah, Omar Abnachman Tana, we learned in Abraisa. Tana by Evil Rabbosi, we learned in Evil Rabbosi. Literally, the great morning. What's Evil Rabbosi? So Rashi explains, is what we have, what's called Maseches Mochos. We have a, a few small collections of Braises. One of them is called Maseches Smachos, which is all about Abelus. And then there's one Tzitzis and Tfilin. There are a few, what they call Smachos, uh, Smachot. Uh, it's, a, it's a euphemism. Uh, not a, yeah. Smachot means a simcha, but it's the opposite. It's a euphemism. It's, we don't want to call it uh, the mesechta of death or the mesechta of mourning. We euphemistically refer to it. We refer to it as things. So that's what Rashi says. That's what this evil rabbosi is. Interesting, Rashi says the opening lines of that mesechta are hagoisai, someone who's on their deathbed. Are they still treated as if they're alive? But so generally we open, we start a we call a mesechta by the opening words or phrase. So he says, but so, so some explain what Rashi's pointing out. I mean, he doesn't have to tell us what the opening line of the mesechta is, what Rashi's pointing out. Um, we don't see when he quotes, he says in meseches, uh, gitin, which starts. So while all of a sudden my meseches, smachos, which starts. So he's explaining that we're not calling it by its, uh, by its opening phrase because it's an unpleasant way, uh, you know, the mesechta, meseches, uh, deathbed. We don't want to call. Uh, we don't want to call it like that. So we call it uh, Maseches Machos. 
All the above concerns are where they got divorced from Nisuyin, and they were properly married. But if they just had a Rusin and then got divorced, he can be paid from her. Why? Because the concern is that they're very familiar with each other, so it's likely that they'll get back together. Again, they've been married for a few years, they've been together, so it's not as big a deal. If it's from a Rusin, for in many halachas, they're basically strangers. Uh, not halachas, in many aspects, they're basically strangers. So there's not such a chance of them getting back together. So all the buzzwords of going to the courts together, um, paying back money, etc., they can do it personally, in person. They don't have to do it through agents. So there's a case where a, an engaged couple, a kohen was engaged, uh, did a ruse into a woman, and then they got divorced and they came before a robber. Yosef, Rav Adabar Mosna and Rav Adabar Mosna was sitting before Rav. Now, Uki, Rav Shlucha Ben Tayu, Rav said, Oh, they must use the agent. I don't want them interacting in my court together. They must appoint an agent. But now, this seems to contradict what we just said, and that's what uh, Rav Adabar Mosna is going to raise. As you just said, if it's from a Rusin, they're not familiar with each other. They're not very close. So it's unlikely to lead to uh, illegal behavior, and therefore, you don't need a messenger. So that's what it says. Didn't we just learn from Rav Nachman that in Abel Rabbasi it says it's only if they were married, fully married, either in a suyin that you need the agent between them? So Amalei Rav answers says, Yeah, I saw that they were very familiar. You now some people date for a very, very long time before they marry, before they get do a rusin. So I saw that they were familiar with each other, and therefore I realized they must have a messenger. But you're right, in the standard scenario, where a man and a woman are not so familiar with it, close together after just a rusin, it wouldn't be a problem. Some actually say it the other way around. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's the exact same. We're going to say, uh, have another version. It's the exact same principle. It's just, how did it come out? So, I mean, well, yeah, the, the exact same principles at play. Robert did not set up an agent to deal between the husband and wife. So, so he said, said to him, but you should set up a messenger. We don't want the husband and wife interacting. This coin and his ex-wife. So, says, but wait, Rav Nachman said, we learned from Abel Rabbasi that that's only where they were married from the Suin. If they were only married from a Rusin, we don't have that concern. So Rav Adabar Mosna pointed out to Rav, he says, no, when does that apply? When they're not familiar with each other, but if they are familiar with each other, even if they've just done a Rusin, then you should set up an agent. Okay, last mission of the Perek. The following are uh, believed to testify as adults what they saw when they were a child. Based on a childhood memory, they're allowed to testify. Interestingly enough, generally, to be a kosher aide, you had to have been kosher at the time when you witnessed the event and when you testified for the event. And I don't remember what happens if like, you go unkosher in the middle. Let's say, say marry, you become relatives through marriage, and then it changes. I think that might even be a problem. But it, it definitely, at the time of witnessing the event and uh, giving over the testimony, they had to have been a kosher witness. So here, we're going lenient and saying, no, based on what he saw as a child, a non-kosher witness, his testimony still stands. It says, what, it, what are the... Now we're going to list the... Testimony. So Nerban Adam Loimer Zek Saviyoda Shel Abba Vezek Saviyoda Shel Rebi Vezek Saviyoda Shel Achi. Person is believed to say, I recognize that as my father's signature. I recognize that as my teacher's signature, my Rebi's teacher signature, and I recognize my brother's signature. I too certify Star. We believe a child who. Uh, an adult who says, I remember that signature from when I was a child. Uh, I recognize my father's signature from uh, my homework diary when he used to sign it. says, But now another case where we believe this adult who's testifying based on his childhood memories. I remember that so-and-so got married with a veil and her hair uncovered. Remember proving that she is a... Basula and that she must get paid out 200 
that's um, he's allowed to test this person's allowed to test. He's also believed to testify that. Um, so and so, I remember so and so being taken out of school to go to mikveh to eat truma, and that they used to give him truma at the granary. I remember so and so being given truma at the granary. Again, based on a childhood memory, we allow this. He's believed to allow this person to eat truma. The hamokomazer beisapras. He's also believed to say this is area is a beisapras. We'll discuss a beisapras shortly. But remember that's where a field where a grave has been plowed over, and we worried that they've been that the bones have been scattered throughout the field. So he's believed to show where the base of Pras goes up to. But Adkan Hayinu Boim B'Shabbos, and he's also believed to say, this is how far we used to walk on Shabbos, I, this is the Trum. Aval, however, Ein Odom Neeman Lomer, Derech Hoya Lutloini B'Mokom I remember so and so having rights to walk through this person's field over here. And Ma'amad, Ma'amad Hoya Lutloini B'Mokom So and so had the right to offer eulogies and stand in mourning in these places. I, these are monetary disputes. Do I have a right to cross through your field? Do I have a right to stand in your field to conduct um, the family's, uh, a, a, a certain family's uh, funerals, etc.? Do I have those rights? That's a monetary discussion and therefore we can't believe this person based on his childhood memories. Now, Omar Abuna Braidrav, Yoshua Abuna Braidrav, Yeshua says, Bahushi Yesh, when it comes to certifying the star, he needs an adult with him. Remember, we said to certify stars, you need two Adam. It's not good enough to just have one. So you can have this person who this person who's based on his childhood memories, but you need another kosher aid. Um, again, it's for this case of the staros where you need two people to certify the signatures. But Sricha, now the Gemara is going to ask, why do we need to say that he's believed on his father, his ready, and his brother. Uh, isn't it basically teaching us the same thing, that you believe someone who is, uh, who, who recognized something from their childhood to testify as an adult. So why do we need all three cases? We need all three cases. If you say he could testify about his father's signature, maybe that's because he's often with his father. He saw his father's signature very often, so he remembers it well. Aval Rabo, no. But maybe then he, we, we would not allow him to testify about his teacher's signature. Say he doesn't remember it well enough. And if you want to say it's because um, maybe, maybe if it would have only taught his Rebbe, maybe that's because he had, he's in awe of his Rebbe, but his father's signature he's not going to recognize. I saw Shittimukubetis explains his He's in awe. He wants to copy his Rebbe. He wants to learn from his handwriting. So when he so he takes note of his signature. It's his father's signature. It's just another scrap of writing. He doesn't cons- uh, he doesn't take a uh, take careful note of it. And if you would have taught just these two, I he can testify regarding the signature of his father and his Rebbe. Maybe that's because he's often with his father, he sees his father's signature often, and his Rebbe, he's in awe of, so he takes note of his signature, but his brother, which has neither of these factors, I would say that he could not testify to certify his brother's signature. So, since Kium Shtaros is only Midrabonin, the rabbis believed him with regard to a drabbonon. I also remember a star that is signed is considered certified already. But drabbonon, and that's what we learned earlier on in this parak, we require him to, we require certification, them to verify the signatures on the star. But since it's only drabbonon, the rabbis say you need the certification, and they can also tell us what qualifies as a certification. If it was Doraisa Halacha, well then. The Torah tells us what's a good certification, and that would be two kosher Adam. But here it's the rabbis, so we can they made the they made the requirement and they set up the ways to get around it. Or the, the yeah, the ways to set about. Okay, then we move on to the next line of the Mishnah. Says, I remember that that woman got married with a veil and her hair hanging loose. I now remember we discussed this early on in the Masechta. Why do they have this debate? She says I got married as a basula. And the husband says, no, you got married as a bu'ula. She's saying, I want to collect 200. And he's saying, I only want to pay out um, 100 for the ksuba. So now the question we're going to ask is, that sounds like a monetary court case. 
So how can we believe this child, this man, to say, I remember as a child what happened? We said that doesn't work in monetary cases, because, again, monetary cases, you need uh, proper aid. So the Gemara, that's what the Gemara is going to ask. It says, my time, what's the reason? How can we allow him to testify based on his childhood memories in this case? He says, no, since we have a Rav that most women get married as Basulos, Gulu Mils of Almahu, is just revealing the matter. I, we don't view him as telling us actual testimony. We view him as um, just clarifying something. Rashi explains this. Really, you don't need testimony because you can rely on the Rav. You're not sure whether this woman girl was single or previously had relations when she got married. You can rely on that. She was most most w- women were single. So what's what's his edus required for? That this is how she went out um, and got married. So it's not real testimony that you require. The next case we said where you can believe someone based on their childhood memories. They said, like, I remember when we used to sit in class and so-and-so used to have to leave every few days to go to mikveh so he could eat truma. Maybe he is an eved who's a kohen. I remember an eved can also eat truma if his master's a kohen. So just because this child remembers this person going to mikvah all the time to eat truma, that's no proof that that person's a kohen. That's just a proof. That could just be a proof that he's a slave. And the child, I mean, again, if he was an adult saying, I know he wasn't, basically saying, I know he wasn't a slave, and that's why, and he went to, that's one thing. But he was, it's childhood memories. So he doesn't know to check, to be aware whether the person's a slave or not. So the Gemara says, "Yeah, Messiah Leila, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. This is a support for Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. To Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, also the Adam she yelamed as Abdo Torah. It's forbidden for a man to teach his slave Torah. And therefore, this child, if this person was a slave, he would never have been sent to school. He might have picked up a few things here and there, but he would never have been sent to school. That's basically why we can trust this child. So I remember he was taken out of school. That's a key part of." Uh, if he, if we were saying you know after school I used to have arrangements with this guy and every time every now and then he used to have to cancel to go to uh, um, to go to mikvah that could just be because he's a slave but when he says I remember him being taken out of class I was sent to school he must have been a kohen and not a slave he says the law do we not teach a slave Torah he says the whole time but we learned in a brisa now. All the following cases are cases where we would think that the master might have set his slave free. We learned in Ebraisa, if his master borrows money from his slave, he borrows something from his slave. His father made him a, a custodian. His father made him as one of the what's it, his uh, overseers of his properties or one of his portfolios or something like that. Or he put on tefillin before his master. Again, tefillin, only men put on tefillin. Slaves have the same misses as women, and therefore a slave would not necessarily put on tefillin. So if he's standing before his master and putting on tefillin, he's acting like a free man. says, He got an aliyah, and he was called up to the Torah. Again, if he's a slave, you're not likely to call, not that it's osur, but you're not likely to call up a slave for an aliyah. You're going to give the slave to someone who's obligated in reading Torah, a regular man. In all these cases, it's not good enough to say that he has freed. Again, you might have said, if not for the fact that he had freed them, why would he have done this? He would not have borrowed money from him. He would not have set him up as a, someone to manage all his um, his household or his property or something, his business affairs, or he would not have let him put on tefillin, or he would not have given him aliyah. You might have said that. No, they're still not good enough proof that he has been freed. But what do we see from here? He got called up to the Torah. Slaves do learn Torah. Says no, there the slave got called up or learned Torah based by himself. Here we're discussing where he was treated like a child. He was sent to school. You're not going to pay school fees for your for your slaves for a slave child. So that's why that's why this is a good proof. But you're right. In general, if a slave is seen learning or a slave gets an aliyah, it's no proof that he's not a slave because some slaves would 
learn or put in the effort. Okay, but Then we said um, he went to mikvah to eat truma. Says must be betruma drabonan. Only allow him to eat truma drabonan. Again, you're relying on rabbinic aiders to verify that he's a kohen. He's only allowed to eat truma drabonan. Remember what is that? So according to Rashi, remember Doraisi only have truma on dogon siros for yitzar grains, um, olive oil, and wine. Said the wrong. Um, therefore, any other fruit, separating fruit in Eretz Yisrael, would only be midrabbonon. Um, or there were certain lands close to Eretz Yisrael which they also used to keep the laws of truma. <coughs> but since it's outside of Eretz Yisrael, it would also only be drabbonon. And they distributed truma to him in the granary of a dilma eved kahenu. Maybe he's an Eved of a Kohen. Again, his master said, he says, go to the granary, they're distributing grain as truma, go collect it for me. He says, no, Tanan command Omar, ain't cholkin truma le Eved, elin kein rabo imo. This is going according to the opinion that we do not distribute truma to a slave unless his master is with him. Again, so therefore, again, it's an area, a place which has the minak that they're only going to give it to a slave if his master is with him, so you would know. But they would never give it, if, if a man goes alone and they give him truma, it's definitely because he's a kohen. So that's why you can trust this child to testify to that. Um, the Gomorrah is going to bring a proof. Now this was in Yavamos, I don't know if you remember the case. Um, we discussed that you had a woman and her slave. They both have a child at the same time. The case there was we assumed they were in hiding, whatever, from a pogrom or something. They were in hiding in a cave and their sons got mixed up. So now one of them's a kohen and one of them's the slave. So interesting now, both can eat truma, either because he's a kohen or because he's the slave of a kohen. But, but, that's the, but in regards to other halachas, we would have to go strict and say, well, you might be a kohen, you might be a slave. So he says, the Tanya, so we learned in Abraisa, Rebuda says, you can't give Truma to the slave unless his master is with him. So you'd need both of these boys to go to the granary together. Uh, the Yossi says, no, this, the one boy can go himself and say, look, if I'm a Kohen, give me Truma because of myself. And if I'm a slave, give me Truma on behalf of my master. So we see that Rebbe allows... So our mission, just to go back before we continue with this, Bryce of the Gemara is going to just uh, carry on with the story, with, with the case. But we see from here that our Mishnah, which says that, seeing a person being given truma at the granary is a proof that he's a kohen and not a slave is like Rabbi Yehuda who said you're not allowed to give a slave truma at the granary but it, it would not be a good proof in the place of Rabbi Yehuda they would say someone who receives truma at the granary or knows to eat truma that's good enough proof that he's a proper kohen and can serve in the place of Midash in the place of Rabbi Yehuda they would not elevate someone from truma to yufsin because, again, it, just because they give someone truma, it could be that they're a slave. In Rabbi Yossi, the Gaptanya, Rabbi Elozor, the son of Rabbi Yossi, says, I never used to testify regarding you know, someone eating truma that they should be considered a kohen. At one point, I did testify. And they elevated a slave to kahuna based on my testimony. I testify that so and so was given truma um, at a granary, and therefore they said, "Oh, he was given truma. He must have been a uh, kohen." But he actually, in reality, he was a slave. So the Gemara asks, "Hey, let's talk about it. Could it be that they actually elevated him to be a kohen?" Hashda, we have a principle. Uma behemton shel tzadikin. Ein akodesh baruch hu maybe takol al yodom tzadikim atzmo lo kol shekain. You know, Hashem doesn't bring uh, calamities through um, the animals of tzadikim. Hashem is definitely not going to bring calamity through the tzadik himself. I we not we if. Um, the case is Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yoy. Remember, he had that very uh, pious donkey who wouldn't eat uh, maser. So he told. So that's what we say. The, the animal wouldn't even eat the maser. So obviously, the tzaddik himself wouldn't trip trip up. Hashem is going to protect the tzaddik from tripping up and eating maser. Um, so, and that's what he wants to say. Yeah, if the animal of a tzaddik wouldn't make a mistake, how can we say that Hashem will allow this tzaddik to cause a slave to be considered a kohen? 
So he says, Noela, so rather, what, it didn't mean that they made him as a Kohen. They wanted to, they were going to make him a Kohen based on my testimony. And Chaza Ba'asrei Derebi Yoisi and the reason is because he saw him being distributed truma in a la- in a city where they followed Rabbi Yosi, and he went and he testified in a land um, of Rabbi Yehuda. They realized the mistake before they actually made him a, a slave, but they didn't. Because remember, in Rabbi in cities that followed Rabbi Yosi, they would give truma to slaves because receiving truma is not a proof that you're a proper kohen, so they had no problem. So this. Um, who was Rebbe Lozo, Rebbe Yossi saw them giving this guy truma. So when the discussion came up in the city where he subsequently moved to, he said, well, I remember them giving him truma. However, it was a city of Rebbe Yehuda where only Kohanim would be given truma. So that's, that's where the mistake came in, that he was given truma in a place of Rebbe Yehuda, and this testimony was going in a place of of Rabbi Yehuda, and then obviously they realized the mistake and didn't elevate him. Okay, he said that this place should be considered a, um, the child said this is where the Beisapras is. Again, what's a Beisapras? A field where a grave was, and the field was plowed over. Midrabonin, we're concerned, again, it's only a Drabonin concern, because Doraisa, most times, the plow is not going to reach deep enough to shatter and spread the bones of the corpse around the field. But there's a concern that if there was a grave in the field and the field was plowed over, that it did move the bones, break the bones and spread them around the field. We say up until 100 amos. So about 50 amos. That's the area. Now what happens if you're not sure where the grave was in the field? Well then you have to treat the whole field, even if it's more than 100 amos, as the base of price. If, however, you have the testimony of a child saying, no, I remember we used to say the base Pras only went up to here, then you can believe him. This is my timer. Why can you believe this? Well, again, remember this adult who says, as a child, I remember where the base Pras goes up to. Because base Pras Midrabonin, a base Pras is only considered Tome Midrabonin. Now, we're going to bring two proofs, but just remember, with with an actual human corpse, there's even ohel, even if you step over the corpse, you don't actually touch it or move it, you become Tome. However, the bones of a human corpse, unless it's like basically the whole skeleton, don't want to go into the details of how much, but if it's a large part of the skeleton, like the thigh, the spine, and the and the skull or something like that, it doesn't with Tome ohel. But if someone touches or moves a What's it? A fragment of bone, the size of a, of a, I think a corn of a of a grain of barley. Then he would become Tomei. So the concern again is that this plow um, shattered all the bones and spread them out the field, and so a, a person's going to be walking along and he's going to accidentally uh, touch one of those bones or tr- stand on it and move it, and then he becomes Tomei. So that's the concern. So, but it's only a rabbinic concern, and therefore there's two leniencies we're going to bring, and but we bring in these leniencies to prove that it's only drabonin. If a person is desperate and they need to get through this field, and they have to go off of their korban pesach or something, what do they do? They can blow on the ground where they're going to step and stand there, and we can assume either he's going to blow the fragment out of where he's going to step, or He's going to see any fragments and be careful not to step there if he's blowing uh, on the ground before him. Um, but again, that would only that only is really sufficient if the oil, if the concern is really on it. A second leniency is If you have a base pras that's been well trampled, is tohar. Let's say it's a path through the field and lots and lots of people have walked along it. You can see that all the bone fragments have either been kicked to the side. Or they've been crushed into smaller than a barley size and won't transmit tumor anymore. This is not my timer. Why can we follow this leniency? Because it's impossible that this, uh, that uh, these bone fragments, the sound of a barley, would not have been crushed already. Actually. Um, I would actually phrase that slightly. You don't need to say, to read it all as the statement, why are we allowed to go lenient? Is it not impossible that he hasn't, that these, that there's at least, I mean, however many people have walked along this path, there's still a good chance, if, if this concern is real, there's still a good chance that there's a bone the size of a barleycorn. It's not going to have been, not every single 
bone fragment has been crushed to below this outer particle must be because it's only midrabonim, so we can go lenient in these cases. Okay, then he says, Va'adkan hayinu boim b'shabbos. Up until here was the trumon shabbos. I, a boy says, I remember we used to play or we're allowed to walk up to here on shabbos. That must be where the trum is up to. So he says, Kosov trum in This is all in the opinion that a trum is only midrabonim. Again, we can't, this is only rabbinic testimony, so we can't believe him properly. He says, We said, however, he's not believed to say that so-and-so had a right to walk through this guy's field over here, or so-and-so had the right to, uh, to do, um, what, officiate his family funerals in this place. Why? You can't extract money, extract the monetary right from someone Okay, unless you have proper aidos. The rabbis taught, we believe a child to say, my father used to say, this family is Tahor, this family is Tomei. The Gemara asked, Tahor or Tomei? What does he mean, this family is Tahor, this family is Tomei? The, the wrong words. So go to Mikvah and then you're all Tahor. What does it mean? It says, no. The child saying, I remember my father saying, this family is kosher, this family is possible. I can, he's kind of thinking, my father warned us that if we can marry into that family, we shouldn't marry into that other family. He's also believed to say that I ate from the tzatza, we'll define that soon, regarding the daughter of so-and-so. We trust him to say that. He's also believed to say we used to take... Um, Chala and the matonos, things that had to be given a kohen to so and so. I know that's a good proof that he's a kohen. It says, This is only where he says it's myself, but not through someone else. I says, If I used to take chala to that person, that's a good proof he's a, that person's a kohen. But not if he says, I remember my brother or I remember my friend used to take chala because a child, we say, is not uh, smart enough to make sure to have the story down clear. But if he remembers himself, that's good enough. This leniency is all by a child who grew up, but not by a non-Jew who converted. He saw the testimony when he's a non-Jew, and then he converted and now offers a testimony. Or a slave who was freed. Those cases, we do not believe them. So, so that's the brisa. Very interestingly, you can ask, why should a child, someone who's saying, I remember based on my childhood memories, this is what happened, why is he not believed? Whereas a, where he is believed in, all, in many of these cases, whereas a slave or a non-Jew who, convert, who was freed or converted is not believed to say, I remember when I was a non-Jew, this is what happened, even though now he's a fully-fledged Jew. One of the answers is because a, a non-Jew doesn't care about these halachas, but a slave... And we will see that will come up in the Gemara. We said he's not believed to say that so and so had a, uh, had right to walk through the field over here, or he had right to officiate the funerals over here. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broker says he is believed. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broker, ahay. Now, what case is Rabbi Yochanan going on? He's going on this last clause that they are not believed to testify regarding where he has rights to walk in the land, well, that's not good enough because you need proper aidos to afuke mamona to extract money. Ella aration must be going on the earlier cases, either cases of the families, etc., or who's a kohen. says, Ella aresha. And then it says, but what, 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 the kulam inhoyo Evid, sorry, sorry, wrong, wrong explanation. El Aresha must be going on the ratio. What's what we're referring to? V'kulam imhoya oivei kolchomim iniskair evin ishtachir ein nemonim. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka omer nemonim. That's the point that they're arguing on. The Tanakhama holds that if someone says, "When I was a non-Jew, this is what I saw," or "When I was a slave, this is what I saw," we don't believe him. Whereas Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka comes along and says, "No, we do believe him." But my kamifiki, what point are they arguing on? So Tanakhama Since he's a non-Jew, he doesn't care. Uh, let's just take the case of Truma. He doesn't care that so and so used to take challah and deliver it to so and so. So 
you can't trust his testimony. You can only trust something that a person would care about, whereas the, the child would care because it was an important part of his life. It says, No, since he planned on converting, he would be careful. He would want to know, Oh, why do you take your challah here? Because oh, he would make sure to know what's going on, and therefore you can trust him according to Rabbi Yochanan Mabroka. It says, My Ketzatza. What is Ketzatza? We said if a child testifies regarding Ketzatza of a certain Woman, you can believe him. So the Tanu Rabban, and we learned in a Brisa case that Ketzatza, how would they do Ketzatza? So Echor Mina Achin Shen Nasa Isha Shainu Genesdor. If one of the brothers had married a woman who was not fit for him, I let's say it was a Kohen who married a Chalala, or a regular Israel who had married a Mamzerim. So now in that family, they're going to be Mamzerim or Chalalim, someone unfit. So what do the other brothers do? So he says, Boy in Bnei Mishpacha, or maybe in Chavis Peros. They bring a barrel full of fruit, a huge basket of fruit. For shavering oyster, and they break this basket with scattering the fruit in the field. For and they say, "Achenu beis Yisrael, Shimu, listen, my fellow brothers. Achenu ploini nasa isha sheinu geneslo. This brother of ours married a woman." Who is not fit? And we're concerned, we're afraid that his descendants will get mixed up with our descendants. Go and take for yourself an example, a, 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 a siman for all generations, that we're not going to mix our zero with his zero. What's happening here? The brothers are concerned. If, if it's known in their family that someone's married a psul or whatever, and remember they were they used to encourage an uncle marrying his niece or cousins get married. So, so people are going to say, look, you sus- or you suspect some of our family, take note that we're taking it very seriously and we're going to be careful to keep our lineage pure. And they do that by making this whole scene, by breaking this fruit all over the, the street. And they're saying, come and take an apple, take a peach, take a pear as a proof, as a remembrance that we, we're going to be careful and not intermarry with this uh, brother who's got Psulim in his, uh, in his genealogy. It says, And this is what a child is believed to testify about. I, if, a, if a man comes and says, You know, when I was a boy, I remember this, and a, and a child, this is the sort of event, I think the Maharshah, the Maharshah even says that this, is, this whole structure was set to trigger children's memory. You can see an adult would be like, okay, that's weird, and I got an apple, and you'd move on and forget about it a few weeks later. A child, this is like an exciting thing, like breaking fruit, I get, it's like, you know, when you, you, you want a child to remember something, you give them treats. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. You're making a thing for the children. So the child comes along. He says, yeah, I remember when I was a boy that these brothers said that that brother's the apostle one and therefore you could marry into their, this part of the family but not that part of the family. That's what the child is believed.